I always think that our choir and our music program does, does such a wonderful job of leading us in worship and setting the stage for our study of the Word together and just lifting us up in prayer and song. But I want you to really focus on the last line of each of those stanzas. If you look at your bulletin, it says, And we'll all sing hallelujah when we arrive at home. We'll all sing hallelujah when we arrive at home. I want you to think back to that first time you came home after your first extended time away from home. I want you to think about that time when you first came back, your first time home, your first break from college. Or maybe it was the first time you came home from camp after being there for a long time. Or maybe it was after basic training or after a long deployment, whatever it was, the first time you came home after being away for a long time. Wasn't it weird? I mean, seriously, you, I, I remember the first time I came home from college, I came home and, and it was like everything had changed. I mean, they, my parents had painted the house. My brother got taller and bigger than me. My little brother was taller and bigger than me. He started playing football and went to the weight room a lot. And then, you know, our dog had puppies. All these things were changing. But you know what? It wasn't just home that changed. It was me. I changed, too. When I came back from college after my first semester, I was so wise. I knew so much. I was so worldly. And I knew that my parents wanted to hear all of my opinions on all of the things that I had learned. It's strange when you come home for that first time after being away for a long time time for a long time well you know it's strange to come back from college it's strange to come back from a long time at camp it's strange to come back from from a deployment or the military but what if you were coming home from prison what if you were coming home after a long-term incarceration just a few days ago i heard an interview with a woman named crystal nunez mrs nunez was recently re released as part of the new federal first step program. She had served 12 years of a 20-year sentence for marijuana possession. She was, in fact, guilty of the crime, something she freely admits, but the time was still brutal. When she was taken into custody, she had a five-year-old five daughter at home, and gave birth to a second child while in prison. While in prison, she suffered heartbreaking physical as well as emotional abuse. Whenever they moved her from place to place, even while she was pregnant, she was shackled. Now, under the program, the balance of her sentence was commuted, allowing her to go home. And when she got the news that her sentence was being commuted, she said it was like waking up from a terrible, terrible dream. I mean, how awesome is that? What news to find out that soon and very soon those creaky prison gates are going to open and that cell door is going to open and sunlight will flood into your cell and you can go home. And I've never been incarcerated but I remember occasions when I was doing some jail ministry in, in Virginia and Georgia, and I'm thinking about uh, Sandy Sturch and, and Ann Smith who did so much of that, and so many of you who've done that, and I think about people that I talked to when they got word of parole or when their, their release date was coming and just how happy, how overjoyed they were. They were going home. 
Well, today our passage from Isaiah is about, it's talking about Israel's homecoming. After years of exile in Babylon, the prophet told the people that it was finally time to go home. But if we read this passage with some sensitivity, we can see that God's wisdom is is pervades throughout because we see that he is preparing them to understand that homecoming has both joys and challenges embedded within it. And so if you would, please turn to the 52nd chapter of Isaiah. First, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 7. But this is Isaiah chapter 52. The prophet writes, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Then to verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out in haste and you shall not go out in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. As we consider Isaiah's words today, I want us to look again at this passage. And I want us to look at it not simply as a prophecy, but as something like a parable. If you look closely at the text, you'll see that in verse 2, the prophet personifies Israel And he refers to her as the captive daughter of Zion. And I think it's easiest to understand this passage if we follow along with Isaiah's imagery. So imagine Israel, not as a nation of people just yet, but as a woman who's returning home after a long and difficult time away. The fact that the prophet calls her the captive daughter reminds us that she was not away on vacation. She was away in captivity. As we know, Israel was held in captivity in Babylon for over 50 years. 50 years away from home. 50 years under the threat of annihilation. 50 years of humiliation. 
And what's worse is that if we truly understand the message of Isaiah, we know that she was not just a captive. She was an inmate, sentenced to captivity for, by God for multiple sins, for multiple crimes in her past. She spent long years, decades in incarceration, serving time as punishment for her crimes. But as we have studied the message of Isaiah, we know that this is not a prophecy of further condemnation. We know that this is a prophecy of restoration. Because when the time had come, the Lord commanded his prophet to comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. The Lord had commanded Isaiah to tell her that her sentence is over and God is setting her free and he's sending her home. Now this is a parable for Israel and it's a parable for us. Let's look at Isaiah's words. The first word of this prophecy is awake. The word awake is a call to wake up and see that it's a new day. A new day has dawned, and the long night is over. The darkness is gone, and it's like waking up from a bad dream. Get out of bed. Wash your face. Take off the prisoner's uniform. Get out of the dust and put on your best clothes. Take the chains off your wrists and ankles, because you are going home. A new life shall begin. And we see from the text that this homecoming is going to be a celebration. Look at verse 9. Break forth into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. When daughter Israel returns home, this isn't going to be any half-hearted arrival. It's going to be a full-on party, a full-on celebration. But how's this happened? Why this, why this pardon? Why this release? How can the prisoner come home? It's because her debt has been paid and her sins have been forgiven. Look at verse 3. I know it wasn't part of what we read this morning, but for thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. Well, if, it, if it's been paid for, who paid for it? Look at the very next verses that follow the story, the passage that we read today. The very next verses following this story begin Isaiah's prophecy pointing to the sacrifice and the passion and the restoration of the Savior of Israel. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's talking about the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. And we know who this is. This is Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus Christ sacrificed his body and his blood and his life to pay for our sins and fulfill our life sentence. So what does that mean? It means that there's no judgment left. There's no unsatisfied debt. 
We are free to celebrate. We are free to, to party as God's fully redeemed children. And so verse 12 is a declaration that you're not leaving this prison by escaping in the night. God didn't dig a tunnel for your escape. The Lord has granted you an executive pardon. He's commuted your sentence. You are forgiven. You know, you're not going home in shame. You're going home with your debt to society paid. And that means that you don't have to carry any guilt or shame home with you. You don't have to keep looking over your shoulder. You don't have to keep waiting for that other shoe to drop. You're not halfway free. You are fully free. And if anybody tries to put you back in that prison or says that you're still guilty or that you will always be a convict, then they must answer to him. For the Lord will go before you and the Lord God of Israel will be your rear guard. Anybody who challenges your pardon or restoration or your place in his family will have to answer to the Lord of hosts himself. Because the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So Jesus, excuse me, so Isaiah wants us to wake up to the idea, to the understanding that God has forgiven us and he is calling us home. Wake up, awake. But if we look at verse 11, we see that this passage is is also about leaving the things of the prison behind. When she receives this prophecy, daughter Israel is still in captivity. She's still in her cell. But the word comes from the warden that she's going home. And he says what? He says, depart. Depart. Now at its face value, the announcement that you're going home, that you're leaving the prison, is good news. But it's a mixed bag too. Going home is great. But it can be complicated. I mean, there's joy, but there are questions too. Will people still love me? Will the community accept me back? Will I be able to make it on the outside? Will I fall in with the same crowd and end up back here again? You know, how much has my family changed? How much has my home changed since I left? How much, how much have I changed? One of my favorite movies is a film called The Shawshank Redemption, starring Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins. How many of you have ever seen that movie? If you haven't seen it, it's on today or right now on some channel. It, I guarantee you it's on. <laughs> it plays all the time, and I watch it every time I see it. It's a movie about a group of prisoners in Maine's Shawshank Prison who are all serving life sentences for various crimes. And one of the major themes of the movie is the effect of long-term incarceration on people. You know, what does 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years do to a person behind bars that, after that long? At one point, one of the long-term prisoners, an old crook named Brooks Hadlin, gets parole after 40 years inside. But instead of making him happy, it terrifies him. The world has changed. 
And he has lived in prison so long that he didn't know how to live on the outside anymore. I mean, life was dangerous and backbreaking in prison, but at least it was familiar. Brooks knew his place in prison, and he'd learned all kinds of survival strategies to get along. And those skills, well, those skills would be unacceptable in the free world. And they say that Brooks had become institutionalized. Morgan Freeman explains it by saying, first, you hate these walls, and then you accept the walls, and then you realize you can't live without them. For those in lifelong incarceration, the habits and routines of prison life become normal. They're so familiar that the prison becomes your world. And even though you might long for the outside, for freedom, the strangeness of that outside world can be terrifying. Now that's true for us too. We've lived apart from God for so long that we're not sure what it means to live with Him. We live in a world broken by sin. And when you live in a hostile environment, people do whatever they have to do to make, and make whatever compromises they have to make to survive. Whether the situation is poverty, or addiction, or fear, or abuse, or grief, or maybe even career competition, or the social pressures of your peer group. Whatever it is, we have been institutionalized by the corruption of the world around us. And it's hard to give up the strategies and the survival skills, those prison ways and compromises that have become so familiar. You know, letting go of the survival skills and the compromises that have kept you alive and made your life bearable in exile, that's scary. I remember two little girls who were adopted by a family in one of my former churches. They, they came from Moldova in the former Soviet Union. And they lived in an orphanage for years. When they came to America, they came into this wonderful home with loving parents and a great family, everything they ever needed. And yet, for years, they had learned to steal and to hoard everything they could get their hands on, from water bottles and scraps of food to safety pins. And it took them years to let go of those habits. Sometimes it takes us years to let go of our old prisoner habits. You can take the Hebrews out of Babylon, but you can't take the Babylon out of the Hebrews. You can take the prisoner out of prison, but you can't take prison out of the prisoner not for a long time but the prophet says depart from there God's restoration is not just about going home it's about trusting him and letting go of the toxic things and the habits and the relationships and the idols that got us into exile in the first place and hold us there until we leave them behind God has broken our shackles. He has broken our chains. Why would we carry them out? Why would we carry them home with us? Let go. 
depart. Of course, after their exile, they did return to the land, return to the land of Judea and Israel. But God's chief concern was not their physical relocation or their return, but rather his chief concern was their spiritual restoration. Their homecoming was not primarily a return to Jerusalem, but a return to their relationship with God and their identity as his people and their purpose in his mission. But if you want to return to that identity and that relationship and that purpose, you have to let go of the things of prison. That's why the prophet says, purify yourself. Because once more, they were going to be bearing the vessels of the Lord. What that means is that once more, they were going to be God's missionary people. And they were going to be restored to their missionary priestly role. Because it was the priests of God who carried the vessels of the Lord. They had to be consecrated. They had to be ready. They had to be pure. And as we talked about last week, God had used that time of exile and had redeemed it to refine his people like a silversmith who refines the silver by heating it up to the melting point, but not to the point of destruction, to the point of transformation, but not annihilation. While they were in Babylon, they went back and they studied their own history and they studied God's law and their theology and understanding of God matured and their empathy and compassion increased, and their sense of community deepened, and they began to take God and His holiness more seriously. And here the prophet is saying that now God wants you on His team, and He is ready to put you back in the game. He's ready to consecrate you and purify you with His grace and send you out once more to be His light of truth and His arm of compassion to the whole world. And as we consider this passage, we need to remember that God is not taking us back just to the way things were. He's not taking us back so that we can take him for granted again, or so that we can live the way we want to live, regardless of how that affects other people. He's bringing us home as changed people. God is bringing us home to restore us to our true identity and our true purpose as his people. He's not taking us back to where we were. He's taking us back to what he, what he designed us to be. He didn't give them just pity. He gave them a purpose. Now, I think there are a lot of parallels between this prophecy and the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus tells in the story of Luke, it tells us that story in, the Luke of, uh, in Luke of chapter 15. In both stories, in this prophecy and the parable of the prodigal son, the theme, the common theme is the homecoming of the child, either the prodigal son or the captive daughter. And the climax of both stories is the revelation that the father welcomes both the rebel and the prisoner home. In the prodigal son, the father runs out to meet his son on the road and embraces him and welcomes him back into his arms and to his table and he puts a ring on the young man's finger and throws a party with dancing and singing and feasting. And in Isaiah, it is the prophets of the Lord, the watchmen, who welcome his people home, declaring that this season of estrangement and exile is over. 
they become his arms and his smiling face. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. What a wonderful job to have to tell people that you're going home, to tell people that you've been set free. You know what? That's our job too. Our job is to bring good news and to welcome His children, children home. We are to be the watchmen who sing out for joy and who look people eye to eye and face to face and tell them that the Lord is calling them home. God is calling us to be the ones who bring the good news of God's forgiveness and peace to tell them that they are set free in Jesus Christ. You know, when I think about the parable of the prodigal son, I think about how fortunate it is that it was the father who met the returning son on the road, not the older brother. If you remember the story, the older brother was immediately resentful that his father welcomed his younger brother home. You know, what if, what if the older brother had been the one to meet the prodigal on the road with judgment and guilt and shame as opposed to grace and affection? The prodigal might have turned right back around and headed back to the pigsty. I think one of the saddest things that I've learned in my years of ministry is that there are so many people who have families, who have opportunities, who even have resources, but who, but who can't go home again because of shame or guilt. Either their own shame or guilt keeps them from returning home, or they're not welcome home because of their past record. They want to go home, but the older brother is sitting there guarding, waiting by the door. What about us? What about First Presbyterian Church? Are we more like the watchman of Isaiah and the father of the prodigal son, or more like the older brother of judgment? It's one thing to set the prisoner free, but another thing to welcome him home. How are we doing on that? How are we at forgiveness? How are we at providing a homecoming? Do we make space for people to come home? The ex-con, the addict, the rebellious child? Do we meet him with judgment or grace? Do we make a place for her and welcome her with affection and open arms? Do we remember that Jesus Christ gave his life to make a place for them at the Father's table? Just as God once set you free, he wants you to announce freedom to others who are in shackles. One of the reasons that Crystal Nunez is free is because another pardoned prisoner from the same First Step program reached out to her to let her know that she was eligible for the program and that the pardon was available to her. Somebody told her the good news and it made all the difference in her life. How are you waking people up to the good news of God's freedom? How are we helping them to let go of their self-destructive prison strategies 
and depart their imprisonment in which they live. And how are we making space for people to come home? You pray with me. Oh Lord, it is easy to hear the words of pardon, but it is hard to accept them. It is easy to declare that someone is forgiven, but harder to welcome them home. It is easy, O oh Lord, to hear the words, awake and depart. But it is easier, Lord, to stay asleep and stay. Lord, we know that nobody moves out of prison, whether that prison is literal or that prison is spiritual. Nobody moves out unless you become their rear guard and their vanguard, unless you lead them and unless you protect them from behind. Lord, we pray that you would help us not only to receive this word of our pardon for ourselves and for those we know, because Lord, I know there are people in this room right now who are imprisoned, who've heard your word of grace but just can't believe it applies to them. Lord, I pray that you will help them to receive this word of pardon. And I pray, oh God, that you would help those of us who do know and have accepted your word of pardon, that you would help us to welcome the prisoners, the captives home. Lord, let us be the watchmen who bring your good news and who tell people to wake up, to let go, and to come home. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.